On this episode of the Big O Podcast, I'm joined by former Invicta FC featherweight champion and current UFC top contender, Felicia the Phenom Spencer. We talk about how grateful she is for the support she receives from her Canadian fans throughout her career, how winning the Tough Enough amateur tournament led to her signing with Invicta FC in 2015, her current timeline for returning to action with a potential Fight Island appearance, and the experience she's gained by fighting Chris Cyborg and Amanda Nunes, the two women atop of the Mount Rushmore of women's MMA, and two of her last three UFC fights. This is the Big O Podcast. Good afternoon, everybody. I am your host, Julian Ortiz of the Big O Podcast, and today I am joined by none other than the phenom, Felicia Spencer. Felicia, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on, Julian. No, th- listen, thanks uh, Thanks for doing this. I know times have been a little bit busy. You've had a very uh, busy couple of, of months, obviously, now with COVID sort of striking. It's kind of been a little bit weird, I guess I would say, uh, but how are you managing during during COVID-19, during the quarantine? Um, you know, I'm, I'm doing fine. You know, I, I always uh, just look at whatever, you know, is in my control, you know. So for me, there's only one way to be, you know, just look forward and take things as they come, you know. <laughs> I can only control so much in the world. So that's what I'm doing, you know. Um, so I'm lucky to have my husband on the same page and, you know, we both have a good good outlook on things. That's an interesting thing uh, when you talk about control, because one of your backgrounds is Brazilian, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, right? Which is all about control, right? It's all about giving and taking and the ebbs and flows. And so it's it's interesting that you take that as like your your mantra, I guess, as you will, uh, when it comes to, to when it comes to dealing with things. Um, yeah. I want I wanted to reach out to you because obviously, uh, you know, you are from Montreal. Quebec, uh, so a good Canadian. Uh, anytime we see the Canadian flag next to a a fighter, a boxer, MMA, you know, we always have that you know that that itch to root for them. And obviously, that has been the case. I've been able to follow your career since joining, uh, since you joined the UFC. Um, listen, I, I have some words for Sean Shelby. Listen. Your first four fights in the UFC hasn't exactly been, you know, the easiest road of any MMA person to to start their career in the big organization, right? For sure, for sure. My matchmaker is actually Mick Maynard. <laughs> oh, Mick, that's right, that's right. Okay, sorry about that. Yeah, so Mick, Mick, I'm going to have some words for you. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I knew what I was getting into from the beginning, and I knew that with the divisions, uh, like, landscape, that, you know, things would move quickly, and that didn't deter me at all. You know, I, for some people in, in, in their situation, in their division, that would be maybe not as good of an idea. You know, you'd want to build up yourself and get get to that point where you're ready to take on the great. But for me, I knew it would happen quickly, and um, I wanted to take full advantage of the opportunity. And, not, you know, I had the opportunity to fight two of the greatest, uh, probably the two, you know, top two greatest female athletes of all time and less than one year time <laughs> so yeah. I you know that's what I knew it would happen quickly and I, that was what I was pushing for it didn't turn out the way I was was hoping but that didn't deter me either way I mean considering <laughs> you went through two wars in in those two fights I mean we're talking about the Chris Cyborg fight and then the Amanda Nunes fight 
Chris Cyborg, you hit and opened up a pretty nice cut on her. And I remember post fight, that's one of the things that she said, you know, you gave me my first cut and she was very, you know, thankful for a cut as anyone could ever could sort of be. But she definitely talks about the toughness of, of you standing in there and, and going to war for, for, for five rounds. And then you turn around and do that again with Amanda Nunes just, you know, less than a year ago. And again, it's the same sort of thing. We saw it for anyone who was watching, but to be in that octagon, to share that with you and to have two of the greatest, you know, combat sports, if not athletes of all time, as you said, what does that mean for you? I mean, I know it's hard to take sort of like moral victories, but, you know, what was that feeling knowing that you went toe to toe with two of the greatest athletes and stood your ground? Yeah, uh, well, to kind of bring it back to the Canadian thing, uh, I was proud to be able to to put, you know, the Canadian flag up, you know, in a title fight. It's been a while. Um, so that, you know, that part of me, I was just so happy, so grateful for the Canadian fans that have been really supportive of my career, uh, especially in the UFC. Um, but, you know, like I said, I didn't go in to fight to get moral victories, but, yeah. you know, it, it is, it is, I guess, nice that the fights sort of happened the way that they happened, where I could take away something. Um, there was definitely a lot more I wish I was you know, um, a lot more that I wish I did, especially in this last yeah. fight. I felt like there was, um, you know, a lot of uh, empty room for me. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, I, I'm I'm looking back on it. Um, I'm grateful that I went for it. You know, I, I like I said, I, I knew that things would happen quickly and I didn't shy away. You know, I just tackled what was in front of me, did the best I could. And, you know, things could have gone better, but... I don't have any regrets about it. And, uh, you know, it's made a big difference. And just looking forward, I, I don't feel like, I guess I just feel less pressure moving forward because right. you know, I've already been against the top and we'll see where things go. And, um, you know, it's put myself in my life in a good position also. So, you know, it all, it all went, it all went pretty well <laughs> overall. I mean, eight, eight and two is definitely not like a, a professional record is definitely not anything to you know raise your nose at right like listen you you went six and own invicta you started on i believe was like a reality sort of fights was it like i think it was called tough was it, are you tough enough or tough enough um it wasn't the the famous tough like the, yeah. the show but it, it's tough enough is the amateur tournament it's right. been big it does have a pretty big stage a lot of a lot of great UFC fighters went through that organization. Ronda Rousey, I know, went through it also. Um, a bunch of a bunch of people have gone through it, but um, that was an interesting time for me because, as an amateur fighter, um, being I live in Florida, I've lived in Florida a long time. Um, traveling to Vegas for a fight was like, oh my god, you know, you made it, and yeah, I'm yeah. just an amateur fighter at that point. That was such a, a big deal. I was so, you know, so happy to be able to have sponsors to help me get there, you know, pay for the plane ticket because, of course, amateurs don't get paid, so they don't get stuff like that paid for. Um, so just having that experience really like set me up for what was coming, and eventually winning the uh, through that tournament, I won the Invicta contract to make my pro debut in Invicta. So it all, um, it was all, it all felt really big for a really long time in my career. Like I just. It always felt really, really big stage, and every time I would win, I would get a next level up, and it would just be like it's still a huge like every time I would win, it was just like, man, it like none, it's never the same. It's always yeah. just like another level up, and so I was kind of used to that feeling. Um, 
like when I made my UFC debut and then I fought Cyborg the next fight, it was just like, this feels normal because every, every time I fight, it's like the next step is so much bigger for me. It all happened really quickly. Uh, so I was kind of getting used to that feeling of the level up. <laughs> and that's the thing. I mean, a lot of people who sometimes get the opportunity don't rise to that occasion, right? So you, you go through that amateur circuit, you go six and zero through Invicta, you end up beating uh, Pam Sorensen in a rear naked choke, which is kind of like your signature uh, win, I would say. I mean, mode of win. Yeah. I mean, um, and so you win, you win the featherweight Invicta title. And at that time, the UFC kind of has a featherweight division. It's sort of like in limbo because they have Cyborg who, who tried to to do the cut and it wasn't. She was fighting a lot of catchweights, and then Amanda Nunes really steps up and. And says, "Listen, I will, I will fight at the heavier weight because everyone wants to be the champ, champ uh, nowadays." Um, and then you have someone like Megan Anderson, who who you got to fight as well, who is that natural featherweight uh, in that division. You went through three of those fighters, and so a lot of people are, are wondering, you know, what is the next step for the featherweight division? Because I'm sure cutting weight to get to 145 isn't necessarily the easiest thing to do or something that you want to do. Obviously you probably don't want to cut any more weight to go down and fight for like a, like a, the bantamweight title, but what's next for you? Cause you've sort of been at the top of the mountain. What would be the next sort of fight that maybe you're looking forward to either at the end of the year or maybe going into 2021? Yeah. The time frame is, is on point end of the year or early next year. Um, and, because it's so um, foggy right now, um, there's not really a clear path. I'm I'm kind of just like, okay, I'm just not even going to worry about it because right. I'm not trying to fight over the next couple months, so it doesn't really matter. And the landscape changes so fast, especially in my division, that three months from now it could look totally different. There could be opportunities. There could be no opportunities in the UFC. They might, you know, like say they close the division down if a man retires. Like, so I, I have no idea. Um, I hope that they keep the division and that they sign one more fighters and opportunities come. But I'll kind of look at it again in a few months when I'm getting closer to being in fight camp uh, or to wanting to take a fight and then kind of see what, what the landscape looks like. Because right now, kind of like your feeling is very uncertain. So sure. I have no yeah. idea. I have no I would like to see, you know, I hope, I hope that Amanda stays active. I hope that she, I would love to see Megan fight Amanda. You know, she was, it was like me or her. So I'd like to see her fighter. I think, um, I think every fighter has a shot against any other fighter. You know, I could have lost every fight of my career, just like I could beat anyone in front of me. Uh, just a matter of the decisions that you make in the moment and whose decision was better at that very moment in time. We're all talented and we all belong there. So it comes down to little moments, but um, yeah, again, I'm, it's so uncertain that I, I uh, can only hope for uh, a good opportunity to come and I'll stress about it later on. <laughs> I mean, you talked about moments, which I mean, 100% and just don't want to take the focus away from you, but talking about Amanda and who she sort of fought over the last couple of fights. I mean, she ran into a little bit of, of a ground issue with Drain uh, Durandamy because on the ground, on her back, she was looking to try to lock up some triangles, trying to go for like an arm bar. And Amanda looked, as much as she was enforcing the ground and pound, looked to potentially get caught in a few situations. She exchanged with Holly Holm in their fight. And Cyborg, I mean, you flip a coin, one person's just that much faster. How many times have we, you know, I've seen it with many teammates even, you know, if you're standing toe to toe like that, it's 
very uh, reminiscent of um, when Dillashaw fought um, Cody. Or no, not when when Cody fought someone else and he had just lost the belt and then he fought someone else and they were just standing. Pedro, Pedro Munoz. Exactly. It reminds me of that so much because they were just both toe-to-toe swinging and either one of them could go down. You know, it happens all the time. Um, like you said, just that moment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it's interesting. Obviously, you know, I was we were we were hoping for a different outcome when when you set the stage. But we know that, you know, down the road, whether it's, you know, at the UFC, whether it's back in Invicta, depending on what happens, as you said, with the division, I mean, we know this is not the end of you. You have, this has been a lifetime of mixed martial arts, and which is where I want to sort of shift the focus to, to begin with. You, from Montreal, Quebec, how did you get into, uh, I think it was, was it Taekwondo that was your first discipline? It was, yeah. It was, it was really just that my, you know, my, I have two older brothers that I have, you know, my parents that wanted, just wanted us to not only have something that we could all do together, but you know, my, especially my mom, my dad was in the military. My mom was very, you know, a big proponent of being able to defend herself and all that kind of stuff. So she wanted some kind of martial art and that was what was available, you know, at the time. So that's how I got started. I was four years old and uh, started, you know, going to class with my brothers. And then um, I, I loved it. I was, you know, I was good at it for the, you know, for the age I was, I was having fun. I was good at it. And I just kept doing it. And, um, you know, as, as we became teenagers, you know, my, you know, we were able to kind of find our own way. My brothers, my oldest brother kind of stopped with the martial arts a lot sooner. My middle brother and I stuck with it a lot longer together. He did jujitsu with me when I was 12, we started doing jujitsu, Brazilian jujitsu. Um, but eventually he found his passion, you know, so he, he kind of stopped. And then I just, I was always drawn to it. I never wanted to stop. So <laughs> So I just kept picking up different, you know, different um, skill sets and training in different arts. And here I am, you know. <laughs> now, now it's funny because when when I was doing a little bit of research just to lead up to this, one of the things that came across me that sort of stunned me was your full-time job. And that was, you know, you are a uh, sixth grade math teacher. Is that correct? It's, it's sort of, and I, I actually, uh, in May, when I signed my contract to fight Amanda, I actually went ahead and put in my notice that it was kind of time to step away and focus okay. a little bit, but up until a month ago, two months ago, uh, throughout my whole professional career, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, an algebra teacher uh, for virtual school, so it was 6th to 12th graders, uh, so okay. it was nice to have a big variety of students to talk to, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that, I was a full, you know, full-time teacher, Um the nice thing about having a virtual class is it was a little bit more flexible. So I would work, you know, from eight until eight, you know, in the morning till the night, but then I could stop for a couple hours and go train and, you know, come back and keep working and then go back and train and come back and keep working. So it made for long days, um, which is part of the reason why I kind of wanted to pull away from it just to, you know, I feel like I would have regretted it if, uh, you know, at the end of my fighting career, if I didn't like have a, a little bit of time where I could really try to, you know, focus a hundred percent on it and focus hundred percent on myself, um, during the time. And that's gotta be one of those things where I, I try to imagine myself in, in grade six or up to grade 12, having a teacher who's teaching me algebra, who's coming <laughs> to work with like bruises or cuts or even just knowing that my teacher is out there like 
fighting or kicking ass like on the weekend and I watched her and then you know Monday morning I know we're gonna get into the latest algebra equation what was that what was that like for either your students or even parents that you might have connected with uh for the virtual school like did any of them share any feedback or any thoughts on it yeah um and I I spent a very little amount of time in a in a physical school where it was very different but I'll focus on the virtual school but most of the students never never mentioned it. They never. Wow. You know, they didn't really talk amongst each other because it was just one on one with me. So oh, okay. for the few that did, uh, it was surprisingly low amount. Maybe they just never mentioned it if they found out. I don't know. But very right. probably like 10, 10 or twelve students over the last five years have mentioned anything about it. Uh, but the ones that did, it was usually because maybe they trained jujitsu or they have a, something in common and that they were you know, oh, wow, you do that too, you know, and then they were, um, you know, we had a good little connection there, or um, there was one that I will always remember as being, like, the one that was, uh, he was like, oh, wow, you have a full-time job, and you're a full-time fighter, and I should be able to do my math homework, you know, (laughs) it's like three assignments a week, you know, so I was like, yeah, you know, it was like, and I never thought he would change his ways, you know, because, you know, a lot of students don't do their work. It is what it is. Uh, but he actually, from that moment, started to do his work. And I was like, oh, my God, one kid actually started to change <laughs> because of something I did. I was like, out of all the thousands of students that came in, you know, one of them really started to do their homework after they, you know, had a conversation with me about it. So, um, but yeah, the, we had a, had a lot of, there was actually one, uh, another student that I was at a grappling tournament with my, uh, I teach jujitsu at my gym for the kids so I was taking them to do a tournament and it was out of town but still in Florida and uh, one of my students came up to me I didn't know he was my virtual student at the time because I don't really have faces to name Uh, he came up to me and he said you're my math teacher (laughs) and I said oh my god and he's like can I give you a hug I'm like of course you know so he was uh you know I guess kind of like shocked to see me and, and knew of, you know, I had, it was after I fought Cyborg and everything. So it was kind of like a bigger, you know, a bigger name, I guess. But uh, I saw his mom and she was all excited. So it was cool. It was a really cool experience. Um, the virtual classroom is a very different experience, but still, still a lot of really good connections there. That's pretty cool. Like, cause I, I'm trying to imagine like in my days in school, if I knew that I had a teacher who was doing that, I, I don't know if I would have probably said anything to one because obviously it's not a secret, but like, how do you approach something like that? But I'd also be pretty like inspired being like, my teacher is like, could kick your teacher's butt. So like, you don't want to cross this teacher. Um, and, and then the, I mean, the other aspect of it too, like I have two young daughters and the landscape is definitely changing when it comes to more women visibly in sports. Um, and for like, whether it's like soccer, there's a, there's a, like a new soccer league that's just starting up, but obviously like women in soccer have been incredible, especially when it comes to like the United States, for instance, who've just sort of creamed everybody when it comes to the world cup for, for so many years and, and softball. And then in Canada, hockey, the Canadian women's team and the U S team are always, you know, going toe to toe with that kind of stuff. But it's funny because many years ago, Dana White had said, you know, we'll never have women in the UFC. And Ronda Rousey really sort of changed that and forced a hand because it was something that had to be embraced. 
And now you're going to start to see way more young people watching this and get inspired. For instance, my daughter, when we're watching, you know, fight pass or if it's she's staying up past her bedtime and I haven't told her mom that she's doing this and we're watching, you know, UFC, she is replicating the punches, the movements. She likes to wrestle. And now she has someone who she can like identify with. And for me as a parent, seeing people like you or Michelle Watterson, seeing people who, you know, you have a, a, that positive role model to say, hey, this could be me one day is definitely like an amazing thing as a parent because sometimes it just doesn't translate the same way when you see someone of the opposite gender, you know, doing it. And yeah. what what sort of impact have, have you seen, I guess, in the last, you know, throughout your career, I guess, with with women or young girls coming up to you and, and looking at you as a role model now? Yeah, it's been very touching and, and I do get that a lot. Um, I get, a, like you said, a lot of, a lot of parents, a lot of dads especially have sent me messages, you know, just, just kind of saying exactly like what you said. And for me, it just makes me just want to keep doing what I'm doing and, and keep, you know, just being myself and not, you know, not wanting to change the way I approach things or the way I approach my career for more likes on Instagram right. or for potentially more money or something like it makes me feel good that I've made the decisions that I have. And, you know, they, they hopefully, like you said, there are some young you know, boys or but mainly, you know, a lot of girls kind of yeah. can, can, can relate and, and have a role model to it's, it's very touching for me, you know, even my, um, my husband has a, a daughter, you know, with another woman. So we've been together for, since she was four years old. So it's been like five years of her life. Um, she's, you know, I, I, I call her like my own, but she does have a, a biological mother and her, her mother has matches me the same thing that she was very, you know, just so grateful that I was the stepmom, you know? So like yeah. that I, had, I had an influence on her and she was thankful and, that kind of relationship, you know, a good relationship with a blended family doesn't happen all the time. So no, I'm sure. really happy to be, um, you know, to be, a, you know, a, things aren't always, you know, easy, but at least I, I know I, like my stake in the game is like a positive one. So it definitely feels good to, to have that, you know, to p have people think that I influence their, their children in, in a good way. You know, it's, it's, I couldn't exchange that for anything. Well, it's interesting because like as a teacher, you obviously want to get into teaching to help mold minds, right? You want to help the next generation to achieve their goals. And you do that not only by or when you were teaching, but also by leading by example. And I wanted to bring up Addie. I wanted to bring up the fact that, you know, being a stepmom, biological mom, it doesn't matter. She has an amazing role model and she has her dad, who's also a mixed martial artist. So what is it? What is it like? in that household with Addie when, you know, you know that you have two kick-ass parents as opposed to just, you know, one now. What it, What is it like? What is the home life like? Is Addie getting into any of these things? Has she shown any interest or is she kind of like, we'll let you guys keep to what you're doing? <laughs> she is, uh, when when she's here with us, she's, you know, we, we get her here in Florida for a few months at a time and um, she lives in Illinois. She's more into soccer, which we fully support. Okay. Uh, she was again, she definitely enjoys doing like the jujitsu classes that we do and kickboxing classes. But I think she enjoys it because the other students we have in class happen to right. be, um, uh, some really awesome kids that are also her age. There was like a group of five, five girls her age that all clicked and they're all great friends. And 
that kind of camaraderie I know comes from martial arts. Like it, it happened for me. And I mean, I'm married to someone I trained with, you know? So yeah. for me, it was, um, whether she enjoys the pure sport of jujitsu or if she's just having a good time, it doesn't matter. So, but when she's back home in Illinois, she's doing usually soccer and stuff like that, which is, we cheer her on, you know, she, uh, she does spend a lot of time like hanging out at the gym when she's here. So, you know, we don't want to like push it on her. If she doesn't want to, it's, it's fine, but she, she gets enough time just hanging out at the gym with us for sure. And I mean, that's also got to be a, a unique dynamic as well when it comes to both you and your husband being in the mixed martial arts game when it comes to training or traveling having an understanding of what the responsibilities are and the time and dedication it takes on on both parts obviously you know you're part of the ufc you were formerly of invicta and it, correct me if i'm wrong but your husband made his pro debut this his last fight was his pro debut yeah yeah and where what organization is he fighting in right now uh, his, it was for Combat Night. He's not under contract, but it'll, it'll probably be with Combat Night um, for a little while. Um, yeah, and and I know he's been you know he's been training and fighting for a long time too. It's just the things didn't line up as quickly for him as they did for me. <laughs> but either oh, way, enough. with, with Addy, um, she can you know she can look up to him and, and see like we always talk to her about you know it's okay to not, not do good all the time, but if you just keep doing it, you know, you can practice, practice, practice makes perfect or close to perfect. Um, so she sees that like, you know, we try not to get frustrated when we don't do good. You know, we we try to show, like you said, lead by example. Um, we try to, you know, just promote a healthy lifestyle, you know, as much an active lifestyle. And, you know, it's not always, you know, we don't, we don't, we're not, we're definitely not like, so strict that kids, you know, she can't have yeah. fun either. You know, definitely. Uh, For sure. I think, I think another like uh, mantra I live by is everything in moderation, including moderation. So sure. gotta go with the balance sometimes. Um, no, so yeah, she has, she has a good time. <laughs> it's interesting because like the thing that strikes me about jujitsu is that when you're rolling with someone, like you're gonna get tapped, you're gonna tap someone, and sure. so you're not always gonna win. It's not like a sport like tennis or soccer where you can just be like dominant all the time go undefeated and you're never ever going to experience loss in jiu-jitsu you're gonna lose but that's what's gonna make you better and i feel like maybe that sort of mentality going through something like that where like you said moderation sometimes you're gonna win sometimes you're gonna lose you just pick yourself back up and, and you try your best and you do everything that you can I feel like martial arts, I never got into martial arts. I did karate, but I cried like a baby when like my mom would leave. And so like my mom took me out of that class like really quickly. But it's one of the things that like I want like my girls to experience. I have two very like young daughters and I know the oldest one who just turned three back in May is itching for the opportunity. And we're trying to figure out the right time to get her into these classes. But now obviously with COVID things have shut down a little bit and we're, maybe gonna hold off a little while but she will look at uh she'll do like muay thai zoom classes every once in a while she'll do stuff on youtube and she'll follow along and she loves it sometimes doesn't know that she can only be like that with dad and not her younger sister so (laughs) sometimes she'll practice the takedown on our youngest daughter and it doesn't always end well for dad dad (laughs) always has to explain to mom why the baby's crying um 
but it, but it is one of those things like com- uh, camaraderie, like you talked about, right? Like being around others who want to do it, their age, their skill set, and not forcing it upon them. It's very easy to to do those things, but um, it seems like you and and your husband are doing a, a fantastic job with that. Now, training for a fight, training to stand in front of someone, punch them without them punching you or kick them or take them down or submit them. There's a lot of training that goes into it. On average, you know, how long do you have for a fight camp? And what are the things that you're really focusing on for that fight camp? Um, so typically, I would plan to have an eight-week camp that I would call it where things really ramp up and I'm doing a lot more and really, you know, extra strict with diet and stuff like that. Um, normally my weeks would be like Sunday, I would have one really hard conditioning session with, with my team. Usually we have like a fight team that comes in and sprints and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, that would usually be like an hour and a half long. Um, so conditioning is a big part. Uh, like Mondays what I would do, you know, I like doing like regular classes to, to not just always be thinking about my, you know, my opponent. It's not a hundred percent just always on them. Um, usually. So I, you know, I like to do, uh, I think I would normally do like a, like leg day and then I would have jujitsu kickboxing and then, um, a sparring, a sparring session also and teach the kids class. So a long day for Monday. Um, I usually just do like an hour of kickboxing and jujitsu each every day. And then some kind of a conditioning, either cardio or strengthening pretty much every day (laughs) with, with one, I usually make one rest day where I would try to just do like yoga, something super easy going, like not power yoga, just regular (laughs) yoga. (laughs) You make that mistake once. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, you know, I, I really just try to mix it up. I, I, if I'm in a routine, you know, I, I I try to switch things up and, you know, just do something a little out of the ordinary sometimes. Like I added in, um, one of my coaches started, um, went back to his roots also, and he, he was uh, a karate black belt uh, growing up, and he started doing karate at the, at the gym, started his own little class. So I started to do that just to kind of, you know, move differently and think yeah. differently and, um I do. A lot, I think my my uh, my training involves a lot of cage work too. Um, I think okay. that's shown a lot in a lot of my fights, and um, I think uh, yeah, I think on the cage I, I do a lot of training because a lot of people don't. Maybe they don't think about it, but it's a huge part of fighting in a cage is how, knowing how to work on and off of a cage. So, right. um, yeah, and uh, this last fight camp was very different. Obviously, it was. <laughs> Also, not eight weeks. It was about 12 weeks instead because it was postponed. And then I had to keep training because it was not that far off. So, uh, And it was a lot more focused on my opponent, too. It was, right. it was Every time I trained, it was 100% thinking about my opponent, which is definitely different. But which I liked, you know, leading up to it, I was kind of like thinking how uh, every session was very intense and focused. Uh, so it was a little different than usual, though. So... Focusing on that last fight. So there are two things I want to talk about. The first thing is Amanda. How do you prepare for someone like that? Like, what was your game plan? If, if you know you're going to win the fight, what does that look like for you? Uh, one thing I, I was not successful in was 
getting, well, obviously getting her down, <laughs> getting her to the yeah. cage. I thought that I would have, I didn't think I would have such a hard time sort of cornering her and getting her to the cage. You know, it usually happens pretty naturally for me. So right. um, I feel like that would have been a, a, a key for me to have control and not get, not absorb the strikes that I was absorbing, which mm-hmm. only played a part in my cognitive ability to think about what to do next. <laughs> right. Um, you know, it's, and it, you know, it, it does change the, the rhythm when she, you know, she obviously hits hard. Um, so it changes a little bit of your, um, I don't know, I guess I was a little bit, a little bit more, uh, timid on doing yeah. things after the, maybe the second round. And then, and then it just started to kind of get in my head a little bit. Like, why am I being timid? You know, this doesn't happen. I don't do this. This is not how I am. And then next thing you know, the round's over and you're still just thinking about why you're being timid, you know? So, yeah. so it, was some, it was definitely some things that were different um, that I didn't experience in other fights. Like, mainly getting someone to the cage. And then also just like, I was kind of in my own head a lot during the fight, which makes me kind of just, you know, it was just, I was just in my head and I couldn't get out of yeah. it. So, so those were the two biggest things I kind of look back on. Um, I did, you know, I didn't, I did intend to be able to take her down from the center of the cage. Uh, but again, I was kind of in my head about it, so I wasn't uh, wasn't going for it like I should have been. Well, you were fighting two people. You're fighting Amanda, and then you're fighting yourself <laughs> in your head. It's, I mean, it's a two on one is not is not an easy situation for you to overcome. But it's funny because Mike Tyson has this famous quote that everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face, right? And, and you can see it sometimes. You can see it with, with fighters where they're all of the, you know, they're moving forward, they're walking their opponent down, and then they get hit with something that they weren't expecting to get hit. And they always say the, the punch you don't see coming is the one that hurts the most. And yeah. you took your lumps, but, <laughs> you, but at the same time, like there was no quit. And it was one thing that they talked about on the broadcast is that, you know, she's absorbing these punches and you did absorb a few big ones, but it wasn't as if like every punch was, was a bomb. Like you were still, you were able to move out of the way. You tried to, to get in there, but you definitely, I mean, tough as nails. One of the craziest things I've ever seen. You're just thinking like, how does, how is this person still going? And, and you're doing it and you're, you're not backing down and, and you don't want to quit. And over the last few months, we've definitely seen, times where coaches have had to make the decision on whether or not to call the fight because their their fighter is just they just don't have it that day and they don't want them to take more punishment than they need to was that ever a thought in your corner that maybe today's just not the day for felicia let's you know bounce back and 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 fight to live to fight another day so that's a really, really important topic, you know, and I know it's come up a lot recently, especially, I think, since, especially, um, what's his name? Oh, my gosh. Anthony. Lionheart. Either way. Yeah. Lionheart. That was, like, what really the catalyst to this conversation recently, I think, and it's happened a few times. So a couple of things. No, it didn't, it didn't cross their mind. Um, I know that the broadcast team was saying it a couple of times. Um, for... For for my situation, there wasn't ever a time where I was just just strictly you know covering turtles, covering yeah. not not trying to do something or defend myself. I wasn't ever wobbled like uh, comes to mind when Tony Ferguson was fighting Gaethje and he was yeah. 
clearly wobbling on his feet for a few rounds, you know, and, and, yeah. and there are, some, my next point will come up too. Like I wasn't ever like in that situation where I was just out on my feet, you know, I was, yeah. that, that wasn't the situation. But also, you know, there are times where, uh, there was, there was a kid recently that, that just called it quits between rounds on his own, even though yeah. his corner was trying to push him. And that's because, you know, in his situation, that might've been a good decision because, um, you know, he was getting out class. The other guy was just one step ahead of him the whole time, which is like what happened in my fight. But he's a young kid. He's, I think it was his debut or something. And what is there, what is there to gain from going forward, you know, from doing that? For me, sure. it was a title fight. <laughs> it was, you know, the pinnacle. So it does, in my opinion, change things. That's why we have amateur and professional and everything in between. The levels do change and the, the circumstances change. I think when there's a title fight, things can be you kind of put more on the line. I'm putting sure. a lot more on the line. I want, I want that opportunity. And my coaches know that I had what it took to get a finish. It just didn't happen. You know, so for and me, my mentality, like, I always am holding on to that hope that I'll be able to find a way to win like I normally do. <laughs> but go well, ahead. Especially, especially in your sport, right, where it doesn't take much. A single punch, a kick, a trip can change everything in the blink of an eye right so i mean they always say there's a there's a puncher's chance that you could get back into but the three examples you brought up were fantastic i mean obviously anthony smith he said there was no way that they should have stopped the fight like he in his own mind wanted to continue to fight tony ferguson was definitely hard to watch because from the second he just seemed off the entire fight yeah. i mean i i know someone who I, who I'd asked, uh, who was close to Tony and, and said, you know, that the double weight cut within a week is definitely not something anyone ever wants to do. Obviously we had the, the UFC fighter who just fought twice in 10 days, who at two different weight classes that may, may argue things. But I mean, Tony Ferguson wanted to make a point that he was going to make weight for his supposed to be fight with uh, Habib and then decided to then have to cut weight again to fight Justin Gaethje a short time after that. He just did yeah. not seem to be the same guy that he normally is with his elusiveness. He was a step short. He was a step slower and took a pounding from yeah. a focused Justin Gaethje. And then the other perfect example is you have a kid who just doesn't want to do it. He either doesn't believe in himself anymore. He knows that he's behind. He doesn't want to take any more damage. And the coaches took a lot of criticism because they're out there saying, no, listen, you got it. You can do it. Keep going. And the argument they make is they also know their fighter. So from the audience or from the announcer's perspective, you're hearing a kid want to quit. And you're saying, well, why isn't the fight over? And the coaches are coming from another perspective where it's like, listen, I know this fighter. I know what I can say. I know how he they're also, reacting. Yeah, he also wasn't like out on his feet. He exactly. wasn't throttled. He was just losing, you know. So yeah. they knew he, he should stay in for his own, you know, that's their job. They're coaches to push him. But exactly. he also can't be, you know, ashamed for making that decision for himself because, you know, it, that, it is what it is. Uh, I think in all those situations, there's never like a right answer, but no. I do think circumstances are different on when you're like the main event or the or the title fight. I think you're putting so much on the line that you just want to have that opportunity. Yeah, 
I mean, Justin, <laughs> Justin Gaethje goes into the, every fight, he says he's ready to die. I mean, he might be a guy who, who really is ready to do that. And I mean, to your point about coaches being there to coach, Mike Perry might be the only person who doesn't actually believe in that statement because yeah, he obviously had his, his girlfriend coach him and, and he won against Mickey Gall. And I mean, he had some, maybe he's going to make some decisions a little bit differently with this coaching and preparing for his next fight. But the since COVID's happened, there's been so much fighting in front of no fans. So the early onset of COVID, there was the last UFC Brazil card that they decided to go forward with and they had no fans in attendance. And since then, it's been either in Orlando or at the uh, Apex Arena in Vegas, which I believe is where you fought um, against, uh, against Amanda Nunes. What is that like knowing that you fought in front of crowds before when you fought uh, the last time you'd fought in Edmonton in front of, you know, a Canadian crowd that was, that had to get you going, but then fighting in front of nobody other than essential personnel. Like how did you adjust to that difference as well? Uh, you know, I kind of went into it with just a really good attitude about it. I was kind of excited to experience it and uh, kind of have it feel almost like you're just doing another sparring session at the gym, you know? <laughs> so yeah. You know, the, especially at the apex, the cage was like the same, pretty much the same size as the cage that I train in. So I was excited about that. Uh, you know, the the training that I've done has been in an empty room. You know, up you know for that fight, I was training when no one else was in the gym, so it was yeah. empty, quiet. You know, just a couple people there. So it was kind of like, oh, this is going to be kind of similar. You know, it was. Um, and usually when I'm walking out, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I hear my music, of course, and you know, I would normally hear the crowd but I'm, I'm really trying to always just look ahead and not not soak in I, I just I never really like soaked in the moment of a crowd and yeah all that um usually until the fight's over um so I was I kind of just looked at it like that like it's just gonna be like normal just gonna hear my music and just walk out put the Vaseline on and close the cage door and it's all kind of similar um if, I mean it was a little bit different but I, I didn't really like I don't think it affected me in a bad way. If anything, I think it was kind of a cool feeling, you know, to be in a quiet room. Now, have you, are you the, are you the type of MMA fighter that's watching the other fights that are going on, like the other pay-per-views or the fight nights and, and watching your, your, your friends or people you train with or people, you know, fight? Um, on fight night, not so much, but okay. uh, like I'm not usually watching in the back room. Like I don't, I'm not super superstitious. I'm not like trying to avoid the fights that are going on in the back room when I'm getting ready, but I usually just try not to really look. I don't, I don't really want to see like someone get knocked out or something right before right. I go out. It just doesn't put me in. It doesn't put me on the side where I'm like pumped up about it. Like I'm more, gotcha. oh God. but uh, yeah, I'm definitely always watching fights, um, you know, at home and with friends and stuff like that. And, um, actually just had some teammates fight last night. Um, they had an online stream <laughs> to watch um, nice. down here, local combat night. Actually, locally had a had an event, so things are picking up again. And yeah, I'm definitely a fan. You know, when I'm not when I'm not in training. Now, did you happen to see the uh, the UFC Fight Island three at any point last night? Did you see any of the of those fights? I saw. I I was kind of multitasking during it, but I did pay right. attention. You know, pretty for most of the night. Yeah, I saw the. I was definitely impressed with Carla. I'm always a big Cookie Monster fan since her victory. So, <laughs> so 
we with with not really knowing what's going on with COVID right now, with certain places reducing the amount of people that they can be around or reducing the events and and opening back up and then having to close again like we saw happen in in Vegas uh, a few weeks ago. There is a chance that Dana said, you know, they're going to start putting fights on Fight Island up until and even into 2021. If you got the call and said, hey, listen, we're going to put you in on the main card. You're going to be fighting this person, but it's going to be in Abu Dhabi on Yas Island. Is that affecting like your decision to take that fight at all or are you just like hell yeah sweet opportunity let's just jump yeah. right into it let's go <laughs> yeah that sounds like uh that sounds like it would be an amazing experience for sure um you know part of one of the great things about having this type of a career is to be able to go see new places you know so i've i've definitely embraced that and hope that i can travel overseas you know at some point and dubai looks beautiful i would love to see it so especially the fight island looks like it's to the nines so i'll definitely be open to going there yeah it's definitely been a cool experience to sort of like watch whether it's like the quarantine videos of our favorite mma fighters of like them being by themselves or <laughs> or you know getting to see the race car track or the fact that they're fighting at like 3 a.m local time is like when the main card is starting so it's like a, a way different time than you would normally be be ready to go fight now i i saw you post something recently on instagram and it got me it got the the brain going a little bit heavy hitters hot sauce <laughs> where where did this come from <laughs> um well actually i did um a few months ago like a month before my fight maybe or just a couple weeks before my fight i had a giveaway on my page where i gave out i did like a raffle and i had a duffel bag of gear and then some other stuff. There was five people that were selected to win and the Instagram page for heavy hitters hot sauce was one of the winners. So that's how oh, we nice. connected. And then they received their stuff very late, but either way they had sent <laughs> me um, as a, you know, as a thank you for sending them a t-shirt. They sent me a box of like 25 bottles of hot sauce. Jeez. So it was pretty awesome. They're they're based out of Toronto. Uh, so they were just, you know, I think they were just really grateful to connect with me. And they sent me that. And I was really grateful that they were so generous. And I uh, just wanted to give them a nice little shout out on that. And it's it's cool. They they have like a hot sauce that kind of has a theme that relates to the fighting stuff. So it was, it was kind of cool. Yeah, I saw that. And I was like, man, that looks... I mean, I saw the Scotch Bonnet one, which is like my favorite kind of like hot sauce, and I was like, might have to, <laughs> might have to give this one a try, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, as as we sort of talked about throughout this, you're a great role model um, for someone who wants to get started but doesn't know, you know, where to begin. What would your piece of advice be? I would, I would, first of all, is just get a team that you feel comfortable with. You know, you have to be able to train comfortably and, and trust the people that you train with. Um, you know, obviously a, a variety of skills that you can train, you know, jujitsu, wrestling, kickboxing, everything else in between. You know, so just having people that you can connect with and, and not every gym is meant for every person, you know, so you just, you can bounce around and try and see who you can connect with and, people that you trust not to be selfish and training too much. Like everyone has to be a little bit selfish and training at the right yeah. time, but right. you just have to find those right personalities. And then, and then the rest will come, you know, the opportunities will come. If you trust people you're around, then you'll stay safe, you know, um, 
it, it really comes from, from that. That's, that's the best way to start. And the last thing before I let you get out of here is, uh, where did your nickname come <laughs> from? Where did the phenom come from? Um, yeah, when I was an amateur, um, I can't remember which fight, but I, it was probably like my third fight where I had a quick finish and just in the comments on Facebook, one of my teammates said, be, well, first of all, my nickname, my full name is Felicia. My nickname is Fee, F-E-E, easy. Um, so one of the comments was Fee, F-E-E, nominal job, Felicia. So from there it was like, oh, that's, that's funny. And it was kind of catchy. And then people started, you know, I liked it. People, people in the comments liked it. And then that's kind of how I started. I just ran with it. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was, that was pretty it. And, and I didn't want it to be like uh, Vitor Belfort is also the phenom, but it's spelled like it's supposed to be spelled. So I was like, right. okay, this is different enough because it's actually my nickname, Nom. So <laughs> I always wanted to make a shirt with like Pac-Man, like Nom, Nom, Nom. Oh, like, nice. there you, you know, see, there you go. That's perfect. Cool. Yeah, so maybe someone will help me out with that design. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, let's uh, let's get that in the works. Listen, uh, Felicia, I, I wanted to call you Fee now just because you put it into my head. Uh, I want to... I want to, uh, to say thank you for, for doing this. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time. I'm glad to see that your recovery is going well. And hopefully we see you sometime at the end of the year or early 2020 back fighting in the featherweight division, hopefully for your sake on Fight Island. That would be awesome. Well, thank you again for having me. It was great to talk with you. No problem. Uh, I am your host, Julian Ortiz of the Big O Podcast. Thank you for watching and listening. Have a great day, everybody.